We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 22, A Land Without Magic. The air date for this episode was May 13th, 2012. The writer was the Kitsowitz. The director was Dean White. The title card features a cloud of magic. We begin in the enchanted forest where Prince Charming keeps smashing the lock to his cell with a rock to no avail. Because if Charming has learned anything from Snow White, it is hit it with a rock. It's a good idea. Yeah. It's a solid life skill. <laughs> it really is. The guards come to take him to his execution. Charming decides to go all floppy legs on them before taking them out in a bid for escape. Good job, Charming. Charming is so handsome in this scene. Like he's just so damn handsome. So handsome. So, so handsome. handsome. So handsome. <laughs> Charming becomes stuck between two knights down a corridor, one of them taking aim with his bone and arrow, and bam, kills the other knight. Charming asks, who the hell are you? The knight takes off his helmet, calling himself a friend. <gasps> it's the huntsman, stupid handsome Graham. We missed you. He's here. Handsome Graham is here. Handsome Graham. Wonderful Graham. Beautiful Graham. Perfect Graham. Perfect Graham. He tells the prince he doesn't know him, but he knows Snow White, for whom he gave his heart up to spare hers. The huntsman promises to try and stall the queen, and he releases Charming, gives him his weapons and provisions, and sends him on his way. Graham packed him a little sack lunch, which is just fucking cute. Graham is too good for this world. He really, really was. I know he's all like, here's your, here's your Lunchables and your Capri Sun. I know you're going to get snacky out there. So I put some Ritz crackers in. <laughs> Don't forget to apply sunblock. <laughs> I know you burn. At the I put SPF 50 in there. <laughs> Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> and some Gatorade for electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to stay hydrated, Bubba it's so important. It. We go to Storybrook where Henry is on a gurney, unresponsive, as Dr. Whale and his medical team work on him and try to deduce what could have caused the boy to go completely comatose. Man, are there no other doctors in this damn town? Well, there was. There was that competent doctor in yeah, the Place of Gold. What yeah, the hell happened like, to her? Then we never saw her again, and we just get this clown every time there's a medical emergency. Hmm. I know. He's like this weird one size it's all country bumpkin doctor. Yeah, I'm just like, why are you just always here? <laughs> it's a whole damn hospital, and you want me to believe you're the only one working in it? Yeah. Emma insists that Henry was poisoned by the apple turnover, which she has cleverly bagged up, but Dr. Whale dismisses poison as Henry is not having any sort of response that would indicate neurotoxin. There is no explanation, he says. It's like, he starts to say, Emma sees Henry's book of fairy tales and finishes the sentences to herself. It's like magic. Emma picks up the book and is jolted by a flashback to the day of her birth, her mother kissing her goodbye and her father valiantly fighting his way to the nursery where the magic wardrobe awaits to whisk baby Emma off to the land without magic. So has Emma never touched Henry's book before this? Because that doesn't seem right. No, oh, no, she's she's not. definitely touched it. A she, lot, actually. So why did it not take until this moment? Because she didn't believe until this moment. Because she didn't moment. believe. Yeah, it's similar to like a few episodes earlier, she could not see August's wooden leg. Her, her disbelief is at its thinnest right now. And because there is magic at work here, because Regina used her magic to enchant the apple, Emma is as closest to magic as she has been since arriving in Storybrooke. As Emma absorbs these memories, Regina marches into the hospital and Emma goes into berserker mode. Kick her ass, Emma. The rage in her face is, is truly beautiful. Like she is out for blood. Yeah, she just turns to Regina and is like, you did this. She grabs Regina by the arm and roughs her up like the Hulk did to Loki in the Avengers film, flopping her around, throwing her in broom closets, slamming her against walls. Emma reveals that Henry ate the turnover meant for Emma, much to a horrified Regina. It's true, isn't it? Emma demands all of it. 
For a moment, we think Regina is going to hold on to the lie, but she caves and confesses that, yes, all of it is true. Emmem wants to know why Regina could not leave well enough alone as she was leaving town, but Regina says that as long as Emma is alive, Henry will never be hers. He'll be nobody's son if you don't fix this, Emma says. I can't, Regina cries desperately. Emma eyes her warily before quietly asking, don't you have magic? Regina admits that she used the last of her magic. That's why you don't waste magic on dumb shit like trying to poison this woman who is already leaving. Good Lord. Regina, you have a fucking hubris, my dude. Yeah. Yeah. This whole scene is so fucking amazing. Like this exchange between them, like their blocking is really good. And Lana's delivery of like that desperate, I can't. You really think like we're watching a woman who is on the verge of like. Oh no, it's very, it's very, very well made. Oh yeah. Very well made, very well acted, very well directed, everything. And I love um, Jennifer Morrison's line of, don't you have magic? Like she's, you can tell it. She's like forcing herself to say this this ridiculous line, right? Where she's just like magic. You know, yeah, this scene is killer. Both Jennifer and Lana absolutely killed it in both the scene and this episode. The part where Emma's just like, But I was leaving, like, ugh, it's so good. And they're literally like arguing about, you know, basically like a cursed apple turnover, and yet there's so much weight in this scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, no, 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 it's It's so killer, it's so believable, it's so good. Like, this, this, it's a fucking epic scene, yeah, so good. So Regina doesn't know what will happen to Henry because magic in this realm is unpredictable. So what do we do? Emma asks Regina, who says they need help and there's one other person in town who knows about all of this and magic. It does not take more than a few seconds for Emma to work out who? Mr. Gold, Emma says. Actually, Regina reveals, he goes by Rumpelstiltskin. Uncle Stiltskin to the rescue! I love Emma's face, though. Like, of fucking course like she's just (laughs) she's fucking like gobsmacked she's just like shook (laughs) like what's the fuck because to this day i still have no idea if rumpelstiltskin was ever mentioned in henry's book i feel like he had been hidden from it but i don't know um i'm trying to think back because henry never knew who he was that's true because there is like the part where he's like do you know who he is because i haven't been able to figure it out right and the book does reveal itself, you know, which is why kind of like the whole August adds Pinocchio story seemed kind of odd to me. Like it would have been a fine enough plot, but like the way that the book was presented beforehand, it felt like the stories reveal itself. I mean, I guess all the stories were intact beforehand, then that dismisses that whole theory. Because in order for Henry to have even noticed the Pinocchio story, that means that he would have known all of the other stories. Yeah, it's tough. There's things I like want to talk about, but there's spoilers because a lot about the book is the, I want to say the second half of season four. Um, and yeah, and I've never gotten there. So so, yeah, you, so I don't know shit about the yeah, book. Yeah, stuff about the book is coming. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. Yes. But also, excuse you, there's two people in this town that know about magic. Two. This is Jefferson Erasure, and I won't stand for it. Also, August. I no, guess. go sleep on the couch. But, but, but I'm just saying <laughs> no one should go to him for help. No one should go for him to help. It's That's just... why he didn't bear mentioning. Because he's <laughs> trash. Yeah, I mean, I think like the way Regina said the line, it was like, who knows all about this? I specified magic. And I think the quote unquote, this part is like the details of all this bullshit. In oh, which yeah. case Jefferson would not really be privy to it. I won't stand for this Jefferson array. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just over here with my little pennant flag that says Jefferson angrily waving it. We stand a stand. We stand stand a stand. Give Jefferson more scenes. Even if like the show is still going, they would never be able to afford him. Pay him what he's worth. (laughs) Make a show about him. Yeah. I would watch the shit of that show. Just be 45 minute episodes of him thoughtfully turning pages in a book and I would watch it. <laughs> yeah. There wouldn't need to be anything else going on. Listen, I'm a simple creature. 
<laughs> I just want to stare at Sebastian Stan. I think I think it is not unreasonable. <laughs> no, I I agree. I'll sign I, that I'm petition. Having, I'm having a, a Sally in the Charlie Brown Christmas special moment, and I'm just like, all all I want is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. <laughs> I have rights. I'll sue. <laughs> exactly. I love Sally. <laughs> All right. Back in the enchanted forest, the huntsman tells the queen that charming escape. She pins him against the wall with her magic and anger, saying he disappointed and failed her. Fuck you. The huntsman vows to find charming, but the queen sees a vision of charming in her mirror and says, he's mine. We next see charming lost in the infinite forest before being confronted by Rumpelstiltskin who tells Charming there is no way out except with his help. Rumpel is just straight up wearing Charming's cape in this scene, like just to fuck with him. What a troll. I loved it. It was such a good visual callback to he, a Heart of Darkness. It was, because he's just like, I'm, a, I'm sitting on this log. I'm wearing your cape. <laughs> he's cold. He was cold. He was cold. He's cold. It gets drafty. It gets drafty in the in the infinite forest. <laughs> I just love him like sitting on that fallen tree looking like a boss in that fucking also the cape is like in terrible shape now. Like it he- is. I was like looking, I was like, is that the same? Like I didn't even write that in it because I was like, is that the same fucking cave? Because man, yeah. does that thing look like it has seen some shit? He's just oh, been yeah. rolling through the infinite forest. Just like he's well, you know, he doesn't have a maid anymore to do his laundry. That's true. And he never quite figured it out, so he just keeps catching it in the weird old tiny laundry machine and ripping chunks out of it. <laughs> I think he just keeps like, I don't know, like putting it in the river and beating it. I was I was picturing like the old timey like laundry presses like in like in the Little Mermaid when oh. all the laundry ladies are gossiping. Yeah, I was thinking like also um remember Charlie, like Willy mm-hmm. Wonka in the chocolate factory, like the the mom's a laundress. Mm-hmm. She's like got like the big gigantic tub of like lye and hot water and like the the big old industrial metal washboard. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Rumpelstiltskin has enough time in the day though for that kind of shit. No. <laughs> I think he just pencil rolls through the forest. Yeah. He's like clean. There you go. Charming foolishly flat out refuses him. Not even this. Rumpel asks, holding up Charming's mother's ring and tells him it will glow brighter the closer Charming gets to Snow White. Charming wants the ring, but doesn't want to make a deal with Rumpel, like an idiot. Furthermore, this dum-dum clearly is suffering from amnesia from the last time he pulled a sword on Rumpelstiltskin because he does it again, much to Rumpelstiltskin's amusement. Listen, he is just a himbo doing his best. He is distressed. And he's not a smart man. No. No. He's a pretty man, not a smart man. This is true. I think Rumpel knows this, which is why he like indulges him because like he spars with him for a little bit, but you know, and then like the novelty of it wears off and Rumpel disarms him and, and eventually convinces Charming to accept the deal because they both want Charming to end up together with Snow White because the man is nothing if not a shipper. It's true. It's his OTP. It is his OTP. In Storybrooke, David finds Mary Margaret walking to her car and tells her he was wrong about her and them, about everything. He wishes he had a good reason for not believing in her. He says his life hasn't made a lick of sense since he woke up from the coma, except for Mary Margaret and his love for her. He tells her he's going to leave for Boston unless she gives him a reason to stay. Mary Margaret says she can't before getting into her car. David walks away. I'd feel bad for you, David, if you didn't act like such tool before this pretty speech. Honestly, I'm really proud of her just being done with all the heinous shit David has put her through. Like, good for her. Mary Margaret is too good for this place. Yeah, seriously. I was so proud of her in this scene. So proud. Also, her car, which I love, it's it's a Woody station wagon, but it is so comically large. And she's not actually like as small as I thought she was like she's she's an average height woman you know like she's like five six but I always thought she was like really petite like five three but my lord does that car just dwarf her yeah (laughs) this is such like an emotional scene and I'm like sitting here snickering as I'm writing my notes because I'm just like look at that comically large car like it's not a monster truck but good lord it's only like a couple steps away from being one (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I used to drive a really old station wagon and it was like 
it, it was a B-52 song. It was the size of a damn whale. Yeah. I do love the attention to detail with everybody's cars in this show. I like that like everybody has a car that is very intentional to their character. Yeah. She's got the mom car. David's got the rugged truck. Mm-hmm. Both Rumpelstiltskin and Regina have like fancy rich people cars. They do, but they're like old, like they're, they're older models. Yeah. Because, you know, like her, her, I think she drives a Mercedes and it's like, I think from the eighties. And then he drives a Cadillac also, I think like from the early eighties. Yeah. Sometimes they have those great little details about like the fact that they have been in like essentially a time loop since the eighties. Her Woody station wagon fits more in the eighties. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then of course, I mean, the most well-known car is Emma's bug. Emma's bug. This cute little bug. Mm-hmm. We return to the Enchanted Forest, where Rumple shows Charming a vial of true love, the most powerful magic of all. Charming goes to grab it, but Rumple pulls back with a warning to be careful, as this is all he has left of the potion. What do you know of true love? Charming scoffs. Rumpelstiltskin reveals he experienced a, quote, brief flicker of light amidst an ocean of darkness, but that his true love died. He reiterates that because love is the most powerful magic of all and can easily slip away, it must be protected at all costs. As he places the vial inside of an ornate faux Fabergé egg case, Rumpel charges Charming with the task of putting the potion inside the belly of a beast. Yo, eat this Fabergé egg into a goddamn dragon, dude. Casual. (laughs) When Charming inquires why the sorcerer wishes to hide it, Rumpel says that he is... Saving it for a rainy day. In Storybrooke, Emma and Regina visit Mr. Gold's pawn shop, where the now human wizard was waiting for the savior to show as he had heard about Henry's plight. I told you magic always comes with a price, he reprimands with a pointed look at Regina. Henry shouldn't have to pay for it, she counters. No, you should, but alas, we are where we are. You put my best little buddy in a coma, Regina. Shut up, sit down, and let Uncle Stilskin handle this now. Few things delight me as much as Gold being just fucking done with Regina in this scene. Oh, I know. Very good. He he is so fucking irritated with her. (laughs) He has no time. No time. It's being like, well, man, man, man. He just like shuts it down. It's like, shut up. The grownups are talking now. Pretty much. He's just like, fuck you, woman. This was your fault. He tells Emma about the power of true love and that it is able to transcend realms and break any curse. It also just so happens that he bottled some true love made from strands of Emma's parents' hair. He says the true love magic is so powerful that when he created the dark curse, he placed a drop of it on the parchment, a safety valve. That's why I'm the savior, Emma realizes. That's why I can break the curse. Ding, 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 ding. Emma doesn't care about reversing the curse, just saving Henry. Rumpelstiltskin reveals that he saved some of the potion for a rainy day. Well, it's storming like a bitch, Emma says. Where is it? I legit love that line and the delivery. Emma is just 1000% done. And she's just like, tell me what to need to fix this magic, dude. Because I'm <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's just like legit the best, the best line of this oh, yeah. episode. It's storming like a bitch. Storming like a bitch. Mr. Gold charges Emma with the task of finding the potion. Then he asks Regina if their friend is still in the basement, as the magic is hidden not with her, but in her. Mr. Gold tells Emma she should be prepared for her, and then opens the case sitting on his counter, revealing Emma's father's sword. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. (laughs) I love that as soon as Gold heard about Henry, he was like, well, time to get the sword out of storage. I'd be expecting visitors. (laughs) (laughs) He's ready. He's been waiting for this day for 28 years. Oh, I know. I know. He's just like, he's like, like, he's so giddy. He's like, my, my goddaughter is coming into her own. This is your big moment, honey. (laughs) She's all grown up and gonna go smash Durgan's. (laughs) we cut to emma visiting henry in the hospital to admit that he was right about the curse she apologizes for not believing in him she leaves his once upon a time book for when he wakes up regina comes in to say her goodbyes emma tells her to say what she's going to say because they have to meet in 10 minutes regina approaches henry's bed and begins to cry a pity isn't it not knowing whether you'll ever see your child again says jefferson 
who had been lurking and waiting to catch Regina alone so he can collect on their deal. Hot boy. Hot boy. Hot boy. Regina says their deal is null and void because Emma was meant to eat the apple, not Henry. She is done with him. But I'm not done with you, Jefferson replies. Regina taunts Jefferson about wanting to kill her, but not having the fortitude to do so. I done think Regina pushed our soft gothic steampunk dad to his limits. She has, and it looks very hot on him. Oh my God. It really, (laughs) really does. And especially when he says, but I'm not done with you. Like with the head tilt, with the head head tilt, it's like a little head (laughs) tilt and shake. And he's like, he's like truly bewildered. Like it's not, it's not like a, again, it's not like this aggressive, but I'm not done with you. It's, it's like, it's subtle crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost calculated, which makes it creepier. Yes. It's like you see the gears turning in his head as he's formulating exactly what revenge he's going Mm -hmm. to take. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It is hot. It is so hot. (laughs) Oh my God. So hot. (laughs) And revenge is going to be sweet, sweet, sweet. Okay. Emma, meanwhile, goes to Granny's B&B to go visit August, but finds that he cannot open the door. Emma busts open the door. And who is going to pay for that, Sheriff Swan? You break it, you buy it. To find that August has mostly turned into wood. I hate the CGI wood effect so much. Like, don't get me wrong. This couldn't be happening to a better person. But damn, his weird puppetization looks so nasty. His puppetization. It's, it's, what do you want to call it? His, his poopenhauserination. He's been poopenhausened. He's been poopenhausened. <laughs> There's some poor German speaking person listening to this going, that that is not how you conjugate that word, but okay. Also, just why do you guys just need to keep yelling about the damn puppet house? Get over the puppet house. <laughs> They're just sitting there being like, it's not that funny. <laughs> Emma can now see the ugly CGI wood. Yay. Yay. August tells her she has to break the curse to stop it from happening. She tells him no normal person can deal with what she's trying to figure out. I just talked to the evil queen in Rumpelstiltskin about a quest to find magic. He tells her that she's not normal. She can save Henry. She can save all of, but before he can finish his sentence, August's face turns to wood. Okay, Lynn. On a scale of one to Walt Disney World, how happy are you that August is now entirely made of wood and has been shut the fuck up? Disney World at Halloween is so happy I am. Wow. (laughs) Evening has fallen in Storybrooke. Regina takes Emma to the secret chamber inside of the boarded up library, which for those of you who are listening to our podcast that have never seen the show, the boarded up library is directly below the clock tower. They are the same building. It's also a little funny because it says library in big letters over the door. They walk into this room and Emma's like, what is this place? Oh, I know. There's a reference. There's a circulation (laughs) desk right to her left. And I'm just like, um, <laughs> there's, there's a joke to be made here about literacy and education, but yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I'm the right person to make it. I number, mean, she is her father's daughter, so number, her dad yeah. is a big, pretty dum dum. She might have never ever been in a in a library before. Emma's life has been hard. Also, throwback to episode one. Regina has boarded up the library. Twenty eight years, this library has been boarded up. Yeah, she truly does have a vendetta against literacy i called it in episode one regina hates literacy my favorite line in this little scene is her like what do you want a tour because <laughs> <laughs> well, regina's like we don't have time for this i know we don't have time for That's you to long. stand there and sound out the letters for library <laughs> <laughs> your literacy can wait emma swan yes regina takes her over to an intricate steampunk elevator which regina must use to lower emma down into the mines below storybrook Regina says an old friend is down there trapped in a different form. Before she cautiously gets into the lift, Emma warns Regina that if Henry dies, so does Regina. Gosh, Emma's rage is so good in this. Like, it's it's palpable. The woman is done. She mm. is done. Back in the Enchanted Forest, we see Melissaphant ascend her lonely throne before Charming jumps her like a punk. He demands to know the location of the beast that reigns over the castle. With a flick of her wrist, Melissaphant uses her magic to fling Charming back before replying, that would be me. 
Charming looks at the rather sizable egg case before muttering, I'm going to need a smaller egg. Millicent disappears before turning into her beast form, a kick-ass dragon. You come into my home, you draw your sword on me, you deserve to get wrecked. This poor bitch was in retirement, living her best life with her miniature unicorn, not bothering anyone when her worst college roommate frenemy, Regina, dragged her into some weird family squabble and now a hot-headed himbo is barging into her castle, ruining her day, trying to stick a golden faux Fabergé egg into her belly. What the ever-loving fuck. But also, fuck yes, dragon. My favorite Disney show is still Fantasmic and it will always be Fantasmic. Fuck yes, Melissa Fent, dragon form. Maleficent deserves better. Like, good grief. She just wants to sit around in her fabulous dresses with the little unicorn guy. Like, come on now. I know. It's such an abrupt scene. Like, there's no, there's no preamble. There's no No. preamble. It's not like we see her do something like a little evil beforehand. So you're like, okay, okay. No, she's like, I literally just sat down. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, and it's just like, you know what? I'm kind of with Melissa Finn on on this one. Like you broke into her home. I am too. She's like, I literally just sat down and now I have to deal with this weirdo in my living room. Yeah. And Rumpelstiltskin was just like, nah, put an egg in her. It'll be funny. Like what is wrong with these people? Yeah, it'll be funny. Yeah. Yeah, see, see, Russell says, you know, for shits and giggles. Yeah, for shits and giggles. Like, and then Charming's just desperate. And so he's like, oh, I will put that egg. I will do it. Okay, here we go. I mean, yeah, this Maleficent. This this beautiful moron is too stupid to never be like, but why? In Storybrooke, we see Emma down in the mines looking for the, quote, old friend and coming face to face with Dragon Maleficent. And that one shot where she leans against what she thinks is a rock, and then we just see that green eye pop open is such a great shot. Like, (gasps) it's like it's like the part in like any Hobbit iteration that you have ever seen. Yeah. Where Smaug is first revealed. Like, it's just, oh, it's so good. In crisscross parallel scenes, we see Charming trying to get the true love magic into the dragon and Emma trying to get it out. At one point, Emma tosses the sword aside and like a real American, throws down the sword and tries to use her gun, which is useless. Melissa Fent falls down a chasm before swooping up again to corner Emma. I mean, I do very much enjoy, though, that Emma is just like, fuck it. I'll just bust a cap in the dragon. Like, you got to love that energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I do really like what they do here, showing the parallels uh, of the battle between uh, Maleficent with both Charming and, and Emma. Because it's nice, nice. And Emma's just as gosh darn charming and dashing as her father. Well, I think it's a nice little parallel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Mary Margaret reads the story of Snow White to a comatose Henry. She pauses to talk to Henry, telling him that she gave him the book because she knows life doesn't always have a happy ending. But she thought before she can finish her sentence, Henry's monitors start beeping as his vitals begin to drop. Dr. Whale and the nurses rush in. The camera follows a man in scrubs as he walks through an exit door with a cup of tea. He enters a secret hall where a solitary nurse is on duty. The man hands her the tea, which she drinks from and immediately slumps over. The man in the scrubs is Jefferson. Yay! Yay! He takes the nurse's keys and her coat and goes down the corridor. We see another nod to one flew over the cuckoo's nest and a door labeled Sydney Glass. But Jefferson lets himself into the next cell over where Belle is imprisoned. Crazy hot Jefferson is here to wreck everything. You love to see it. We stand to stand. We sure fucking do. Though Belle has no memories of who she is or where she came from, Jefferson tells her to go find Mr. Gold and tell him Regina locked her up. It's very important. He's going to protect you, but you have to tell him that Regina locked you up. He's going to know what to do, Jefferson promises. Do you understand? Belle nods. Yes, I have to find Mr. Gold. Yeah, you do, girl. See, there is more than one way to dispose of a queen, and Jefferson found it. Regina... You are in so much trouble. I love that Jefferson's just like, hey, girl, go over and see that dude. His rage will solve all my problems. 
But I also wish he had like handed poor confused Belle a hairbrush because her hair does make me very sad in this scene. I'm just like, honey, come here. Honey, please. I know she's going to go see her her boyfriend for the first time in like forever. Can we we, like snazz her up a little before we send her on her way? Just comb her hair a little bit. Give her a sweater that's not full of holes. Yeah, I know. But also I, I love... I love that this was Jefferson's plan because like Regina taunting him about being like, you can't kill me. And he's like, yeah, but I know who will. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. He's like, I don't need to. I know what I can do. (laughs) I know. He's just like, yeah, but you know what? Me and my big bisexual homie, Mm -hmm. he's going to fuck up your shit. I won't need to do anything. I don't need to do anything. You pushed my buttons now too far. And (laughs) now I'm just going to fuck you up. He's so smart. So smart. And handsome. Handsome. And handsome. In the enchanted forest, Rumple waits on the shore with a roaring fire as Charming swims to safety after yeeting out the window. Impressed with Charming's work, Rumple hands the prince the ring and says he will find snow with it. Charmising charmising oh my lord charmising charmising it's like his evolved form charmising and then charmizard wobbuffet oh god charming takes takes the ring and thanks him i think it is the first time he has ever thanked this man and it might even be the last yeah i think you're right Rumple Stiltskin whips up a princely new outfit for charming who asks Rumple Stiltskin why he wants charming and snow white together Rumple Stiltskin says that he's a fan of true love, dearie, and more importantly, what it creates. True love creates a woman with a Glock. <laughs> he's just like, go make my OTP dreams come true, lad. Get your girl. Gotta dress my boy. I love that Uncle Stiltskin is the best wingman. <laughs> he is. He's like, we can't have you showing up to that looking like this. No, no. Like, like yeah, something like a fucking drowned cat dragged in. That girl is going to wake up and go no and leave. <laughs> She's she's gonna go right back to sleep. (laughs) She's gonna be like, "Mm -mm, I'll hard pass. I'll wait for the next one. (laughs) Back in Storybrook, we next see Emma again shooting pointlessly at the dragon. I got my boomstick, you primitive screwheads. But in all seriousness, I bet if Emma had just tried to chat with Melissa Fint saying, hey, I came to break the curse. I'm here to free you. I just need that egg in your tummy, Mal. I bet she would have been cool with it. I kind of love that idea. Like she'd just be like, that's fair, girl. And just like nicely barf it into her hand. <laughs> just like, I got you, girl. Blah. Yeah, you can self-Heimlich. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you're a dragon. You can do anything. Exactly. Right. So Emma sees the sword and figures, okay, whatever. Fuck it. It's worth a shot. She grabs it and hurls it straight at the dragon's belly where it's glowing where the egg is. After a loud burst, the dragon is gone, leaving only the egg-shaped container, which contains the vial of true love. In the enchanted forest, Charming's ring is glowing as he races through the forest. He finds the dwarves who are mourning Snow White's lifeless body in her glass coffin. He stands over her and asks for a chance to say goodbye. He kisses her and the air pulsates as the curse is broken. Snow gasps awake. You found me, she says. Second time we see the scene, but it's still so beautiful. My heart. It's wonderful. They're wonderful. I love them. I love them. And by too. now they're together. So it's even it's even more magical. I exactly. Know. The snowing couple walk together and Snow asks Charming how he found her. He shows her the glowing ring that led him back to her. And then he proposes with it. He gets down on one knee and asks her to marry him. She admires the ring on her finger before replying, what do you think? They kiss, but something seems off. Snow says it's the little matter of your father and my stepmother. She suggests that they take back the kingdom. Charming asks how, and Snow says, like how we shall do everything together. Snow is so badass. I just love her. I do too. She's just so goddamn capable. <laughs> she can yeah. do if gave. She can do if gave. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, as far as like all the Snow Whites and all the media that I have seen thus far, and I say thus far because I know that you two are going to make me watch some of that Snow White stuff, um, and I'm looking forward to it. I was going to say, <laughs> you you might not like it. We're going to make you watch it, but you might not thank us. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It's, it's, I haven't, I'm keeping an open mind. It was always Elizabeth McGovern's portrayal in fairy tale theater that I love the most, but, and that's just because of childhood feels and nostalgia because I didn't grow up with the Disney version 
Um, oh, I didn't really? see that till I was a teenager, but I have to say, I think that this snow is my favorite snow. For I sure. love her so she's, much. She's just so, she's so wonderful. She's like the perfect self-rescuing princess and I adore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Storybrooke, David packs up the bed of his truck and after taking one last long look at the clock tower, he drives away. Meanwhile, Emma is coming up the elevator and it jams. She looks up and sees Mr. Gold peering over the edge. He says that Regina has abandoned her and sabotaged the lift. Emma tries to climb up the rest of the way, but Mr. Gold urges her to just toss up the egg to him. He promises that Henry is going to be fine. Like a sucker, Emma tosses up the egg and climbs the rest of the way. By the time- She sipped it up in her jacket. I know. That's what I think every time. I'm like- just zip it up in your little jacket and then you'll have your arms free for the climbing and you also won't get hosed. Yeah, because by the time Emma gets up to the top, she sees that Regina is actually bound and gagged and gold is nowhere in sight because he done tricked her. She got hosed. Yeah, I mean, I and this is, uh, this is like a scene that just makes no damn sense because one, Mr. Gold actually does like Henry. He's not here to screw Henry over. So I don't understand why he's like promising, oh, your boy's going to be fine. It's like, okay. And then he also, he needs Emma. Like he needs Emma, like not only to break the curse, but there is the matter of the favor that is still owed to him. Like he's not just giving that up. So I don't know, like him screwing people over is not out of character, but him screwing over Emma, particularly this close to breaking the curse, is out of character. Like, I don't, I don't get it. No, it's, it's weird. And I think the thing that does make it the weirdest to me is that he has so much genuine affection for Henry. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just that he's confident in Emma, but it, it feels like he's just kind of like, well, screw little sick boy. The ends, you justify the means. Off I go. Way, hey, hey. But like, I don't know. It, it is weird. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And it's not the first time the show has been weirdly inconsistent with its characters because it feels about as in character as the really bad Emma scene with the like, you were given a well-deserved slap. It feels about that level of in character. Yeah, yeah. Th- it's like thoughtless writing. Yeah, I, I think with this one, uh, I think it, it might actually be that like Rumpelstiltskin has full confidence that Emma is going to take the next step. Emma is going to wake Henry up, break the curse, and he needs to be ready for his next step. So you like bring them out. I, I, I That's want a gamble though. It's, it's an a absolute gamble. gamble. And yeah. I, you know, you know, Elisa, I actually, I do agree with you. I do think that is what they were trying to convey, but they just doesn't didn't come across do it. Well. Yeah. They just didn't do it accurately. Yeah. It didn't execute very well. Because at the end of the day, it is a gamble. And I I really hesitate to think that he would be willing to gamble with Henry's life. Yeah. Like that he would allow for the possibility that it, you know, wouldn't work and Emma wouldn't figure it out in time. Like, I I don't see him doing that. He has so much genuine affection for Henry. Tossing this idea out there, maybe he thinks that if he can bring magic back, that then magic can solve everything. Like, I mean, he knows that he can't break the curse. Yeah. So it can only be Emma, but he could maybe like revive Henry or help Henry in some way. I don't, I don't fucking know. I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to inconsistent writing. Yeah, I think it's there's a very good chance they expected us to be like, oh, it's number one, it wants the shock value of him, you know, double crossing her. And number two to be like, oh, he's just getting his next move ready and knew Emma would do it. But it's not it needed to be more plainly stated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, for most like, audiences. And they could have taken care of that literally with a line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just like a little note that says, I have every confidence in you, like that he left at the top, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, like you'll the- figure it out. Yeah. You got this. Yeah, you got this. Exactly. It's, you know, it's the Dumbo movement. The, the magic's in you all along. You, yes. you didn't need that feather. The, the egg's the feather. But honestly, I think it's just inconsistent writing. Yeah. So Regina and Emma start to chase after him when they both get calls from the hospital. They rush over 
only to have Dr. Whale and Mother Superior tell them that they did everything that they could. Emma goes inside and sees a nurse taking Henry's oxygen mask off. Regina watches in horror as the reality of the situation hits her. Oh, this is such a great moment. It's so sad and only music is playing with no dialogue to fuck up the emotional weight of the moment. Like, our good boy Henry is gone. Uh, this scene really does break my heart. Henry has two moms and they, they love him so much, even if they don't like each other. And uh, it's just devastating. Like you said, the music and, and the fact that Regina stays behind glass at first and, and you can see her just like doubling over in guilt, knowing that this was her fault and not letting herself go to Henry yet. And then you can tell that some real ass crying from Jennifer. Like you can feel Emma's grief. It's just wonderfully acted all around. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah, my heart. My heart. Meanwhile, Mr. Gold is in the workroom of his shop and opens up the egg. The vial is still intact. The bell above the shop door chimes, prompting Mr. Gold to squirrel away the vial and hide the case. The stranger comes into the back room while his back is turned. Excuse me, are you Mr. Gold? Yes, I am, but I'm afraid the shop is closed, he says as he turns around dumbstruck to see Belle approaching. Belle reveals that she was told to find him and tell him that Regina locked her up. Mesmerized, Gold slowly walks over to her before reaching out to touch her shoulder, realizing she's real and alive. Belle says she was told he would protect her. His normally gruff exterior crumbles as emotions overwhelm him, hugging her as he vows to protect her. Baffled, the amnesiac Belle asks if she knows him. Realizing that her memories are not intact, Mr. Gold answers, no, but you will. Oh, he has to touch her to make sure she's real. He broke. You broke him, Belle. True love. <laughs> okay, back at the hospital. We're sad. We're sad again. <laughs> We're sad again. <laughs> We're sad. We're sad now. Belle's collected herself. I've collected myself. Continue. The crying commences because Regina cries while Emma goes to Henry's side to brush back his hair. She leans down and whispers, I love you, Henry, before kissing his forehead. A pulse of magic radiates outward and Henry gasps back to life. Henry smiles up at Emma and says, I love you too. You saved me. Regina looks on in amazement. I know it's been done multiple times since this show, but I love that they took this interpretation of true love and true love's kiss. Like, it's really lovely. And I really love this scene. Like, sweet boy, Henry. He loves his mom. No, it's such a lovely choice. Everything about this scene makes me happily tear up every time I've watched it. It's yes, so good. It's so good. I know. I love that the power of true love's kiss is not limited to romantic love. No, it's, yes. it's literally just like this mother and son who just love each other this much. And it's, I think that's wonderful, honestly. It's wonderful. It really is. The magical pulse continues to radiate through Storybrooke, running through the rest of the town, hitting Mary Margaret, Ruby, Granny, Dr. Hopper, and David, who hits the brakes on his truck just as he was about to cross the Storybrooke town limit. Oh, the music playing and the shots of everyone basically waking up from this curse are so wonderful. Like, oh, I love the climax of this episode. It's so good. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, Henry realizes that Emma's kiss broke the curse. Mother Superior, who we know is the Blue Fairy, says that Emma used true love's kiss. Horror struck, Regina protests with, no, no. It's fucking hilarious. It's comical. It is yeah. so comical. You want her to stamp her foot and shake her fist and yeah. just it's, throw it's like a tantrum. Smoke a tantrum is imminent. It's like it's it's almost Veruca Salt and it's it was level so of over the top. <laughs> it was it was so Veruca Salt. It was great. Um, and then the Blue Fairy turns to the former queen and warns, "If I were you, Your Majesty, I'd find a place to hide." And I love that Regina's face is just all uh oh. <laughs> Before she hightails it out of there, Regina tells Henry that no matter what he thinks and no matter what anyone tells him, she does love him. Then she runs like hell. Henry is like, ma'am, you poisoned me. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to need to work on this, mom. Because he has such like a mm, look on his face. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very like, uh, we, you. Yeah, I'm be... in the hospital because of you. <laughs> Excuse I, me? I literally ate a poison turnover knowing it was poison. <laughs> I died. <laughs> we cut to David frantically walking through the town center. 
He sees Mary Margaret and calls out, Snow. She stops in her tracks and stares across the street at him. Charming. They meet in the middle of the street and embrace as Snow says in awe, You found me. Did you ever doubt I would? He asks, and they kiss. Okay, I get it. This is your thing, but he didn't find you. Your daughter found you. Your grandson found you. Oh, let them have this. I love this scene so much. I know. It's beautiful. It makes me tear up every time I see it. Like every time it's the you found me with their love theme swelling in the background. It just makes me the biggest sap. Reblog if you cry every time. Reblog. I cried. I definitely was sitting on the couch crying. I know. I saw you. I know. I was just like wiping. I was like, (laughs) I imagine you two watching this scene holding hands, to be honest, except that you guys were taking notes. We were taking notes. So we were saying, unfortunately, we were taking notes. So no hand holding happened. We just sat in separate sections of the couch and softly cried onto our notebooks. (laughs) Oh, you two are so cute. I hope that their theme is incorporated somehow into your wedding, by the way. I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, it's it's not on the temporary Spotify playlist just because the soundtrack is not on Spotify. Yeah, mm-hmm. none of the Once Upon a Time music is on Spotify. Someone explain to me how that's fair. But there's I think- a lot of soundtracks that aren't. A lot of soundtracks. And it's not fair because sometimes you just want to listen to pretty ambient fairy tale music while you're working. Exactly. And you can't because Spotify is like, no. There's this guy on YouTube um, who I don't remember the name. Um, But he did a different composition of Snow and Charming's theme for every season. Like, and we visited it every year doing a different interpretation. Um, So beautiful. I will, I will look up uh, because I can't remember this off the top of my head, but I'll I'll look up and I'll remember to like link him on Twitter or something because they were just gorgeous. I remember finding those one time and it was awesome. Uh, They went back and just revisited, uh, revisited the theme and reinterpreted it every year. Very cool. Yeah. We cut to Regina sitting in Henry's empty bedroom as she hugs his pillow to her chest and begins to cry. Meanwhile, Mr. Gold is leading Belle through the forest when she falls behind, telling him to wait. He continues on, saying they're very close to their destination. Belle calls him by his name, Rumpelstiltskin. He stops and turns slowly to her as she approaches him, revealing that she remembers. And she tells him she loves him. They embrace, and he says, and I love you too. First, though, he says, there's something he must do. She's seeing him for the first time as a human man. So this is like a double whammy for Belle getting all these memories. And he finally gets to tell her that he loves her. And oh, my feels, my feels. I am a glass case of emotions. (laughs) If you were on theme, it would be a glass coffin of emotions. Oh. Rumpel leads her to the well, whose waters below are said to return that which one has lost. He drops the vial of true love into it, which ignites the magic. It takes the form of a thick purple mist spilling out of the well and spreading towards Storybrook. Who'd have thought we'd get a second payoff for the douchey August magic returning water speech? I mean, I did because I've seen this episode like five times, but still, they played the long game with the well. So that's that's cool. That speech was still douchey and unnecessary. It was still douchey. It was very mansplainy. Yeah. Let us specify we are talking about August's speech and not Mr. Gold's very quick and easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, No, 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 Mr. Gold at no point was like, hey, Emma, let me explain to you water. Because I don't think you understand what water is, Emma. And this is water. (laughs) This is water. And it does all this stuff. You're a silly, dumb, dumb girl. And I don't think you know what water is. So let me tell you. Yeah. Mr. Gold is not the douche in this situation. No. (laughs) Surprisingly. Let it be clear. (laughs) Our hatred is directed towards August as it always is. Yeah. Back at the hospital, Emma asks Henry why people didn't return to their world if the curse was broken. Just then, everyone looks outside to see a purple cloud enveloping the town. At her house, Regina hears the rumbling outside and goes to the window to see the rapidly approaching purple cloud of magic. We go back to the hospital as Henry and Emma continue to watch. What is that? Emma asks. Something bad, Henry replies ominously. At the well, Rumpelstiltskin explains that he's bringing magic to Storybrooke. When Belle asks why, he replies, because magic is power. Our last shot is Regina peering out the window at the oncoming purple cloud with a knowing smirk. End credits. We're done with season one, folks. Oh, what yeah. a killer Ooh. season one ending. We did it. We did it. <laughs> I have so little nitpicks. I mean, it won't stop me, but they're few and far between. 
Yeah, to me, this is a great conclusion to the first season of the show. Overall, the last third of the season comes in strong, but this one has a has a very special place in my heart. Everything from Emma's rage and, and Regina's guilt and grief to True Love's kiss and the curse actually breaking to Snow and Charming's reunion was just... It, it just really, it all hits you in the heart. I, I absolutely love the climax of this episode. It's these payoffs, like all these little small payoffs in this one that remind me that I, I do love this show. Despite its flaws, we get episodes like this that are just magic. And yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great finale. And it's, it's a very solid finale. Yeah, it's a very, very strong finale. Yeah, you're right. There's like tons of payoffs, like the wishing well, Belle coming back you know jefferson <laughs> just jefferson <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it there jefferson jefferson, uh, jefferson. true love's turned kiss into fucking wood and shut august yeah up. exactly august finally turned into wood no one finally Char- shut up so and charming find each other in in the real and world it's, it's it's like it's it's just the right mix of satisfactory as well as like enough of a cliffhanger to leave you wanting more yeah and to, you know but it doesn't have like such a dramatic cliffhanger like, you know, like who shot Mr. Burns? I don't know. I can't think of like yeah. <laughs> something else, you know, as dire, but like, you know, like one of those like really dire ones where you don't know like who lived and who died and, you know, that that kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's good because mm-hmm. you feel, you still overall feel good. You are like, oh, okay, the curse has been broken and, and Emma believes and she saved Henry and Snow and Charming found each other. People are waking up, you know, Rumpelstiltskin got Bell back, but then you're like, also something else is on the horizon. So they're going to have to fight something new, but all together this time. And it gets you excited for the next season, but it also makes you feel very satisfied with the end of the season. All right. Costumes. So Queen Regina's hair is slightly better. It is unruly, but it's more... It's more um, rock star spiky now. It was like over backcombed, you know, in episode 21 that had kind of like made it weird before. But now I feel like they made it a little bit more rock star. It was better. It was, yeah, better. it was better. A yeah. less party city wig. Yeah. Yeah. Less yeah. party city wig. Also, that gown is so pretty. It was pretty. It is so gorgeous. Oh, snap, snaps. Also, I want... I desperately want Snow's white on white cape. It's so beautiful. It was really lovely. It's it's gorgeous. Like Snow's Snow's whole look is wonderful in this episode because I also love her like ethereal gown that she's wearing when she's in the coffin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that like, whole that whole look. Yeah, it's just is... so like pretty and like wispy. Like it just it makes her look fey almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. Pretty. I love it. Yes, very forest child. Mm-hmm. Also, I need Melissa Finn's majestic dress with that long ass dramatic train. Like bitches love a dramatic train. It's oh, me. Yes. I'm bitches. <laughs> yeah, I love her look. Like it has a few like very maleficent features, but it's so very much it's its own design with the lighter purples and the curly hair and the like more subtle glamorous crown horn. I just think they both the costume and her styling here is great. I love it. I love it. Can I talk about the one costume thing that's bothered me all season and I realize I don't think I've mentioned? Yes. Please. This the is ring. Space. Oh, the ring. The, the ring drives ring. me up a wall. Why? Because it's a peridot? No, because it's so clearly like a square cut modern ring. Oh. It's very modern. Yeah. It's it extremely modern. modern and contemporary looking. And I'm like, why in this high fantasy setting would you have this square cut contemporary thing from Zales? I just don't know. It bothers me. It also bothers me that it's really inconsistently sized. Yes, it is. It looks so gigantic anytime that it's not on her finger. Well, and then when you see her, when you see her in Storybrooke, she can't wear it on her ring finger. She wears it on her middle finger when she's in Storybrooke. Where does she wear it? Well, you see her put it on her ring finger when Charming proposes. Yeah, she normally has it on her. But when she's in Storybrooke, she always wears it on her middle finger because it's massive. Yeah, she fusses with it. Oh, I get you. Okay. Like she, it's it's literally too big to go on her ring finger or it'll just drop off her petite little hands. Okay. Yeah, I wonder if they sized it bigger so it like picked up better on the camera. I don't know. 
Because then when you see like Charming being like using it to find her, it like it, it's like the size of his fingernail. So like they're very inconsistent with what size this ring is. Yeah, there probably were several for yeah. like the various yeah. props and such. And yeah, they just didn't. And, and the one and that for they the gave different her shots. was like an Acme one. <laughs> they basically gave her the giant prop Acme diamond ring that you could buy in Toontown. Yeah. It's kind of think- it's it's kind of like um in Lord of the Rings. Um, the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Like they made for that one shot where it looks like from the ring's perspective and mm-hmm. we're looking up at Gandalf and you you like, you know, like the weight of the ring because it just goes clunk. Mm-hmm. Like down. I think they built like a, a really big ring for that perspective. So that's like- That's what she had. Yeah. They yeah. used that ring and gave it to Mary Margaret. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I feel like- the plainness of it they're like oh we'll make it look plain because it's it's coming I don't mind from like a country plain. But- if it was just like a simple silver band with a gemstone in it and was just like oh it's simple and plain that'd be fine but i feel like it should have been more like i don't know rustic rustic yeah. i was just about to say just, rustic it looks, yeah, yeah it should have been it, it looks you're it looks too modern it does it, it does look it looks modern. too modern and honestly it looks a little too fancy for ruth to have had yeah. ruth is yeah it should David's have been mother. a little rough and kind of like you like you could tell it was handmade and yeah. not and passed obviously down. commercially mm-hmm. produced it shouldn't look brand new which it does yeah it shouldn't be these very like sharp commercial lines on it. Like it's, it's too modern. It's too contemporary. And it bothers me every time. Yeah. I guess I just been sitting on that all season and I was like, no, 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 no. It's the finale. It's time to bring up my ring gripe. No, (laughs) you know what? I'm glad you said something because you're right. It it always bugged me and I couldn't figure out why. And you said that perfectly. Well then you're welcome. (laughs) Time to play. Who's that guest star? in which we give a little background info on the guest stars, also reoccurring characters. In episode 22, we have Ingrid Torrance as Severe Nurse, who is obviously a nurse ratchet play. Over her 25-year career, Torrance has had her hand in many cookie jars, ranging from directing, producing, and coaching. You can also catch her on TV shows such as R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, The Killing, The 4400, Higher Ground, and Supernatural. Jamie Dornan as the Huntsman, a.k.a. Stupid Handsome Graham. Belfast-born Dornan began his Hollywood career as Count Axel Furson in the film Marie Antoinette. From there, he has enjoyed roles on TV and film in such titles as Fifty Shades of Grey, New Worlds, The Fall, Death and Nightingales, A Private War, and the currently filming The Tourist. He was also a Calvin Klein model because Jeebus, who doesn't want to get between that man and his Calvins? Kristen Bauer Van Stratton as Melissa Fent. Van Stratton is no stranger to the small screen where audiences loved her as the sassy vampire Pam de Beaufort in True Blood. Her other credits include Sacred Lies, The Secret Life of the American Teenager, The Crew, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, and Hidden Hills. Jared Gilmore as Henry Mills. Our good boy Henry is played by actor Jared S. Gilmore, who started with recurring roles on TV shows like Talk Show with Spike Ferriston, Hawthorne, and the third Bobby Draper on Mad Men. Jared currently enjoys life as a voice actor, streamer, and Warhammer figurine painter. You can follow him at Nightingale underscore Sticks. That's Sticks as in the river, not a twig. On Twitch and Twitter. So wholesome. Jared, please never change. All right, so it's time to break the curse of confusing flashbacks with Once Upon a Timeline. And guess what? This one is easy peasy to place within the last episodes. Uh, So the flashbacks here pick up directly after the final flashback in episode 21, An Apple Red as Blood. And it ends pretty much parallel with the opening flashbacks in episode one pilot. So yeah, I think it's really nicely done that these final flashbacks actually happen between the flashbacks of the penultimate episode of season one and before the flashbacks of the pilot, the very first episode. So some nice narrative structure there. So uh, good job on the flashbacks for, for these ones, team. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. The narrators three discuss the entirety of Once Upon a Time season one. We dive into our favorite and least favorite episodes, analyze the season overall, nitpick fix-its and themes. 
If you would like to skip over this episode, we do want to let you know that we are going to be taking a break for the rest of August, and we will pick up with Once Upon a Rewatch Season 2 on Sunday, September 5th. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is magic solves all of your problems, so get to smooching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all pod devices come with a price. All right. We did it. We did it. We did it. Who would have thought we could do it, but we did it. I know. I'm so proud of us. Oh, look at us.